Well, let's go ahead and start here. Who has some sort of pre-existing irrigation system? Okay, awesome. Okay, so building an irrigation system. So when we think of an irrigation system, just obviously the idea is to irrigate ground. And my personal opinion is that, well, personal opinion based on experience, especially in the Texas, Oklahoma area where we're a semi-arid climate where we get roughly, well, depending on where you are, but roughly probably somewhere between 26, come on in, uh, 26 to um, 36 inches of rain a year, we're semi-arid, and irrigation systems are just, you don't have a garden if you don't have an irrigation system. So if you are thinking about, let's say, investing in, in fertility in your garden, um, or putting in an irrigation system, if, if it's a question between one or the other, if you're in a semi-arid climate, obviously you invest in an irrigation system first. You're going to have much more success because nutrients can only be taken up in solution, primarily. And so if you don't have a good irrigation system, you don't get the nutrients, you don't get the nutrients into the plant, you don't get the crops. So fairly simple. Um, let's go to the next slide, Aubrey. So this is our garden. And we have an irrigation. We primarily use drip irrigation and variations in overhead. And we're going to kind of be going through that here. Just a few other pictures. Uh, this was 2016 because we relocated to our new farm. But um, for most of you guys, for those of you that um, like are wanting to develop a well and build an irrigation system, I'm happy to talk with you about that, but that is not where this class is going. This class is for if you are already buying water, already pre-pressurized, which is what we did for the first four years on our farm, okay? So it's, it's the cheapest option, it's available. It's like buying electricity instead of going off of grid. You don't have to have all that upfront cost. Um, come on in. So it's... Uh, but this system is, is really more of a tie-in to a pre-existing pressurized system, whether from your city or from, you know, a local water co-op or something like that. So, just a few more pictures there. So let's kind of get into it. So where do we start? We start with what we have, okay? And that's very important because sometimes these systems can be very overwhelming and, like I said, the whole city water thing is kind of where we're going to start with. I think that's the next slide. Okay, so um, in cases where you are just starting to put an irrigation system in and you're only going to be growing in spring, summer, and fall, that's where I, would, I wouldn't suggest anyone trying to put in any type of winter irrigation system until you have a few years under your belt. And the reason is, is because it's much better to start with an above ground irrigation system. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that an above ground irrigation system is when we use um, you, let's say you have your water hydrant or whatever off your house and then you hook in lines to that and you run them above ground across your lawn to wherever it needs to go. The reason for that is is that when you're building an irrigation system you want to, to be very very flexible and, and uh, I guess that's what I'm going to be talking about next. The pros are that, just go to the next one Aubrey. It's a very flexible system. And why would you want flexibility? Well, it gives you the ability to, uh, to change your system easily without much work. When you dig a trench across your lawn or something like that, that's a very permanent step. When you have a system that is above ground running in like pressurized pipe or something like that, uh, lay flat pipe, which we're going to show pictures of, 
if you need to change anything out, it's very, very easy to make changes. And so you're not going to be spending a lot of money and digging another trench and tearing up your lawn. And that's what we actually, for the first four years on our farm, we did everything above ground in Oklahoma. And so, and it was great because you can see the whole system and if there's any breaks and it's just very interchangeable. So what are the cons of the system? Of course, next. Um, the cons of the system are it's not good for winter growing, which I already mentioned, and uh, it can easily be punctured. So like if you have roadways that you're going to be running these pipes under to get to another area, we just use Schedule 40 PVC pipe, dug it a little bit down, maybe six inches below, and then ran the pipe through that so you wouldn't be running over it constantly with a car like across a gravel road or something. Just keep it simple. Keep it above ground. I mean, it, and it is a little bit of hassle uh, <laughs> um, when you're mowing and stuff like that. Um, and the lines can kind of get away, so you have to shift them. But the idea is, is that you're going to be making a lot of changes. So you want to build flexibility into your system. And then once you get it established where you want things, then take up those lines, come in, trench, and you got it where you want it. It's kind of the same principle as if you're developing land. Maybe not a good idea to put gravel roads in first. Kind of just see where you frequently drive and then put gravel roads in there. Because you put one system that's like, oh, it was shorter to go through this way. Kind of same, same concept. Okay. Uh, keep going, Aubrey. So, main irrigation connection. There are a few things that we need to know when we're connecting into uh, a pre-pressurized system that especially is, is being utilized by other people, like other households in your community. There's a few precautions that we need to, we need to uh, be aware of before we do a system like that and so we're going to kind of go through that process so this is kind of a, a field on our farm down here is where our our water hygiene and meter came into our house and so that's kind of the locations you can kind of see a picture view uh, overhead view this was our farm come on in come on in overhead view This was our farm here. Let me see here. I'm going to just use one of these as a pointer. What do you think? Aubrey, you get the other one, we can fence up here. Um, little entertainment. Okay, so this is where, this is where, like, so the main water line, it was a two inch line, came across, and of course our meter was here. This was our house. Our house didn't look like that, but that's just kind of a, well, that's a wash house. Our, wa our house was actually, like, right in here. And then these are, these are our fields, and there was a field up here and a field over there. And all of this was run. Mom didn't exactly like a blue line running in front of her house. Did not like it at all. No, it was kind of. But the idea is, is that you got to start somewhere. And digging holes and trenching up the yard and then finding out that it's not what you want or you didn't put the right pipe size in for your needs or whatever, it's just a mess. So, um, so this is, this is where it was. Let's go to the next slide. So this is kind of what the connection looked like. So you have your, your meter box here. Most of you have something like that. If, if not, if you're on a pump system, um, you still want to think about when you're adding in. So here's your meter box. And then we have a check valve and city water connection box. Then the next one is the drain box. And then we had a one-inch ball valve that had uh, one of these little connections on it, which is a, a one-inch uh, quick coupling. And these are really super. And when you're using above-ground systems, it's good to be able to have connections in them that can easily slip out, slip apart, like so, and go back together. So that if you need a mower or whatnot, you can easily um, deal with that. And I'll just pass it off here if you guys want to play with that. And I have a, 
I have a, another set here. These are really super. I'll pass it over on this side, okay? And then just pass it to the back row so people can see what that's like. And I use those a lot in my farm. Uh, ProFlow Dynamics, you might want to write this down. ProFlow Dynamics out of California, uh, I found that they have the most competitive prices when it comes to uh, polycarbonate quick couplings, which is these plastic ones. It doesn't screw, it just, those, those little legs pop out. Um, there's another company that I really like, they're a little bit more expensive, but Tractor Supply actually carries them, they're called Gator, but they're very expensive. But there's some nice qualities to those. But these are the most inexpensive one. And I wouldn't, let me just put a preface on this, I don't, I don't like their, their couplings over like inch and a half size. They don't seem to seal quite as well, but the inch ones for what we're using them for, they really are nice. So. Um, so that then you have this that then you had that little cup. Well, I just sent it away. Um, you have this little thing stuck in there, so you can easily take off that system or add to it. And these are wonderful little things. Why are you coming in late? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Come, come on in. <laughs> come in, Tommy. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. I'm gonna have to mark you up. You know. Okay, three, and then you're. You know. Okay. <laughs> So then that's, there's that connection. So now I'm going to show a bit of a graph. So here's your valve box, okay? Then, uh, you, so your water's coming in from your city. You have your valve box, city water. Okay, next, Aubrey. Then you have, uh, you want to have a, a check valve, okay? And what a check valve is, it's basically a one-way valve, which means that the water can go through, but it can't come back. And uh, both Irrigation Mart here and Deerfield Supplies sell check valves. Um, and the important things is, is that if your system for some reason loses pressure or there's a break in the line, let's say the city water has a break, okay, here. Well, what sometimes happens is that the water, there's a vacuum and it pulls this water back. Well, that means it's sucking water from your system. And if you're not very clean with your connections, it will suck dirt and contaminants back into the city water, which is a bad thing. So we want to make sure we have a good check valve here to make sure that if anything breaks, none of our neighbors get into trouble. And if they do get into trouble and they find out it's you, well, that's a different story. But anyways, you want to make sure that you have a good check valve. The next thing is, is you want to have a ball valve and then a drain valve. And the reason you want to have a ball valve here is that you want to be able to turn your water off in the winter time and then open this drain valve and allow the water to come back down this pipe here into this valve box here. Now some of these, if you have a big enough valve box, you might be able to put this whole thing in, but I just wanted to divide it up for you guys. Oh, that's for freezing. Yeah, that's for freezing. So, um, and that's important. Now we used to use frost-free hydrants, and in Oklahoma, we're not a super cold place, but they kept getting stuck and leaking, and they're just a big pain. And so <laughs> I, I decided to do something like this, and it's much lower profile, so you know, my mom, backed into the frost-free hydrant with our pickup once, and it just was not a good situation. So, you know, having these checks and stuff is, is really good. It really worked, and also, a lot of the frost-free hydrants are, are like a, a, a three-quarter inch connection, um, and so when you're working with three-quarter inch, you're gonna have friction loss through that line because it's small. With this, you can, you can match whatever's coming into your house, and you can get better flow and better pressure that way. So, you know, sizing up is never a, a bad idea in, in this case and scenario. So that's, that's how you want to connect up to your city water. You need a check valve, you want a way to close off the water, you want a drain valve to get the water back in, and so on. And then you would connect your irrigation system to this. 
Okay. So next next slide. I just changed it. It says ball valve up there. Oh, ball valve. Okay, yeah. There's a ball valve up here. I forgot. So you want to put a ball valve up here so you can turn it off. But you already saw the picture. And that's way you don't have to get down your valve boxes all the time. You can have an above ground uh, turn off. Okay. So this is where all that was. That's where that whole connection was. And then, next one, then our water came up here. And then uh, we had connections at the head of each of our fields right here. Okay. Um, and then another one here. And we'll have an overview of that. Go ahead. So this is where we are with the city water. Then these, touche. Okay, so <laughs> uh, then we had, um, we had uh, these um, uh, valve where we had, well, I'll show a picture of that. These were are basically our connections to our fields here. And it's really important, in my opinion, to have very convenient water. You don't want to be pulling hoses around all the time. You want it very convenient to where you can use it because the more convenient your water is to your field, the higher likelihood you have of actually watering it. If you have to pull something, it's like, man, it's so hot out there. I think I'll, I, it's okay, it's okay. The idea is to eliminate stress on your plants. So it's very important to make sure that, and on yourself, and then you can might automate it. And Well, we're not going there. Anyways, so, and then I had one up to, to my seed house here. And this was all on two acres. So see, this is, this is kind of where they were, right at the head of the field. Now, next picture. Now, we were using this blue lay-flat tube, okay? Now, this blue lay-flat tube is, hmm, I want to say that it's only rated for 60 PSI. Is it 70? Is it 70? Okay, this is an inch and a half. And it's one thing to think about here, and uh, Hunter Valves, or Hunter, Hunter Industries, um, has a, well, I'm not sure if I want to go into that, but... Well, let me mention it just quickly. Um, pipe sizes, okay? I'm just going to mention this really quickly. The, the volume of water that you can safely carry in a one-inch pipe, if you size that up to a two-inch pipe, it's an exponential curve. So basically, let's say you can put 20 gallons a minute through um, a, a one-inch pipe. You can put 40 through a two-inch pipe. You can put 80 through a three-inch pipe. This is how it goes. It's an exponential curve. So... Um, and, and you can run it longer without having pressure loss. So, I, I mean, for a small system, for a backyard person, quite honestly, I don't think you need to get anything above a one-inch line. You should be good. If you're going to be running like we were, I think inch and a half, uh, inch and a half is good. I, I probably wouldn't go above, and that's what this is. It's an inch and a half lay flat blue tube, um, and it's 70 PSI. The problem is, is that we left this system on all the time, because I didn't want to have to go and turn on and turn off and turn on and turn off. Problem is, is that city water sometimes has higher pressure than what your irrigation equipment's rated for. And so this was blowing holes in the line because we are like 80, 90 PSI from our, 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 our city water. And so um, that was a bit of a problem, but they have a red line just like this that does 200 PSI. So, you know, you just want to make sure that Pressure coming from your city water doesn't exceed the pressure of your main running lines, okay? Because I like to leave those on all the time so that I don't have to be running back and forth. It's just nice to have them under pressure all the time. And then we, we would, uh, the, could you go back one, Aubrey? So this, the, what, that little thing that I was showing you was actually what we had at each one of these spots, okay? 
each one of these spots. So just so you know where we are. So it came in and then we had what's called an insert or barb fitting on both ends and then you use a, a CC clamp um, and it's an inch and five eighth inch, uh, inch and, no, five sixteenth inch uh, hex head and you can use an impact driver, that's probably the best way to do it if you have one, to just singe those downs and then it reduced to a one inch here and then a one inch ball valve and then we had these little nibs right here. Um, those are quick coupling, that's a, that's a male quick coupling, one inch there. And that's kind of what, what you guys passed around earlier. And the idea was is that we have overhead irrigation that we sometimes want to use and we have drip irrigation that we want to sometimes use. And I wanted to be able to have systems that I could easily click in and click out efficiently there so I could go easily, seamlessly between the two systems. On our new farm, we're actually going to have separate ones. We're going to have, uh, and this might, I mean, guys want to upgrade, you can, but we're going to have one of these uh, for drip, one of them for overhead, and then one that will just have a regular hose fitting on it so that if you need to just bring a hose to do a little watering in one spot, you can do that. And that's, that, that's kind of important. When you're starting out, you don't need that, but it's kind of important because anytime you unclick and click this back, you're getting dirt in your line. And if you're using stuff like these micro sprinklers, that little dirt will go through the line and it'll get stuck right in the top of your micro sprinklers. Um, which brings me to a point um, is that if your city, wa city water does not necessarily mean you don't have sediment in it all the time. And so it's really good to, to put an appropriate size, whatever your line is diameter, put an appropriate size filter just to make sure you don't have any sediment issues and it has a little screen in it and that's important. Our city water was clean enough that I didn't really feel like it was an issue uh, and it might not be an issue for you guys. Uh, but, but especially if you're well water or pulling out of some sort of questionable source um, that might have stuff in it, you definitely want to put a filter in so that you can use some of these fine misting uh, pieces of equipment. So that's the quick coupling setup that we used and we really enjoyed that. And it's fairly simple. Um, and these, all, these parts and these parts, like I said, this is ProFlow Dynamic. This is your local hardware store. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily go to your local hardware store. I'd probably go to your local uh, uh, plumbing supply store that they actually work with contractors a lot because you'll get a better pricing there than you will at a local hardware store. Uh, and then these pieces, all of this kind of stuff and the blue line and stuff can be found through Irrigation Mart or Deerfield Supplies. Deerfield Supplies, I feel, has very competitive prices, but I always like to check around. Okay, next. So, drip irrigation field connection. So this is now, go back one Aubrey. Um, so see this here? Okay, go again. Is the same thing here. So that's, we're, we're continuing over, okay? So for a drip irrigation system, let's go ahead Aubrey. For a drip irrigation system, we have the, the one inch, uh, uh, that's actually a male. Oh yeah, no that, oh yeah, it's female pipe thread by, by male quick coupling. Okay, so we have that connection there. That connects into this which connects into, uh, 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 I have more information that I'm going to mention here, that connects into a pressure regulator. And for drip irrigation, you want to be somewhere between 10 to 15 PSI with a pressure regulator. Um, the, the thing is, is that drip irrigation, and we're going to talk about the lines and stuff, is usually not rated for over 15 PSI. And so you want to make sure you're running your system at the appropriate pressure because it will wear it out or blow it, and you don't want to do that. So you have, your, you have a pressure regulator here, and uh, these pressure regulators have, uh, they, it's like one-tenth to seven 
gallons per minute. So each of these actually have a gallon per minute rating on them. And um, basically what you need to do is you need to decide how, many, uh, how much feet of drip line you're trying to emit. And in the catalog it will tell you, um, it'll say something like 0.67 gallons uh, per minute per 100 feet. So you say 0.67, you divide it by 100, and you get your rate per foot, and then you multiply that by however many feet you're running of drip irrigation, and then you'll have your gallons per minute for that zone or section. And then you need to find a pressure regulator that's rated for that type of flow. Because if it's too small, um, it's not gonna work, and if it's too big, it will never activate. So you have to make sure that what's going through it is is how much drip line you're trying to, to work with, okay? Then uh, we have another quick coupling here, and then this would be uh, our uh, one inch female quick coupling barb, because this is where we're gonna add on some black polyline, which I failed to bring with me today, but I have pictures of it. Um, and that's, that's where, once you connect that black polyline to here, then this is where we start adding in what we call, um, did I not bring those? Aha, here it is. Ta-da! Connectors, okay? These are personally my favorite. They're called a P6A connector. Let's go to the next slide. But you see how all of that's kind of interchangeable. You can quickly cup it in, couple it in. You can quickly uncouple it, okay? So, and that's where that connection up there is. And then you see our drip irrigation lines coming down here, you see, along the road. This is kale actually growing here. That's our little chihuahua. That's Aubrey, that's mom, that's me, <laughs> our Vermont cart. Okay, so um, those are really nice, by the way. So this is kind of what the connection whoop, looks like. Okay, so we have that barb fitting here that we just saw earlier. It connects into this black poly, which is your drip main line. That's what we call it. And then you have what's called a 5 8 inch pistol tool punch, which I have one here. And I have some smaller ones, too. I have one big one and, and smaller ones. Smaller ones are for different sizes, but they all work basically the same. And you can pass these around. Here, I'll pass one to the back row there, too. And basically what it is, it's a sharp little thing that punches a, that diameter hole in, in the line. Okay? And it's very simple. And, so, um, and then you have your, your connectors. And there's different types. I personally like these because they have a gasket that goes around the top here. And when it pops in, it's actually... I feel like it's a better seal. And notice that all of these have a, a little valve on them. And that's very important because sometimes the drip irrigation line buster breaks and you want to be able to turn one off and be able to repair it without turning your whole system off. Okay, next picture. So, um, I personally like, if I'm getting any type of poly, I prefer the 42 PSI line. Now the 42 PSI line is, directly correlates with the thickness of the black poly. And this is an oval, this is an oval tube. I get this from, from Deerfield Supplies. It's a really great uh, thing. And uh, the nice thing is that it's a thicker, which means that there's more place for my gasket to seal, okay? Or even for this, it's just thicker and more durable. If you get one that's like, let's say 20 PSI, it's gonna be like half that thickness and it, they tend to leak more. So I don't like that. Okay, and as you can see, it's an oval tube, and so there's a sweet spot in this tube. If you try to push in here, this, the, the hose will not resist your pushing in with that pistol punch, and so you will actually, you might even go through it, but if you do it on the sides of the oval tubing here, 
then you have, it, it has to kind of bend up and it resists you and it pops in that hole. And you, but you have to make sure you get it just right because if you get off to the side, um, it's tricky. And the reason for that is, is that you have to come in later. Uh, go next one, Aubrey. So there's a sweet spot. Next. Um, you have to press the punch and you go back and forth. You just kind of wiggle it back and forth, back and forth, like so. Isn't that nice? I did that. <laughs> okay. Next, my autom animation. And then you have to press this thing. And it, it actually resists you a bit. So you, have to, you want to make sure you get right in that part so that the line doesn't collapse on you and you can actually pop it in there. Because if you do it on the top, there's nothing to resist. There's no space, and so it won't snap in. So you need to make sure that when you do this, you, you get it right on that kind of oval part. Okay? And then they pop in like so, which is very simple. And then this is where you connect your drip line. Okay? Isn't that a nice picture? I did this all on our dining room table. <laughs> uh, so as you can see, there's a little bit of a barb here, okay? So what you're going to do is you're going to push, take the, take the line, and you're going to push it up over that barb. See the nice arrow? Uh-huh. Okay. And you push it up over the barb. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and, and once it gets all the way up, then you actually take this piece and you, 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 you turn it like so, and it's, keep going. And, and it locks down on it. And as you can see with this one, once you have it locked down on it, it's on. It's on very, very tight. And that's why it's so wonderful, because they, they won't blow off there. Okay, so now I have a little secret. And I need to borrow a knife from someone because I failed to bring one for myself. And I'm going to have to show this to you. Awesome because I failed to do this in my presentation. I completely forgot, but this is a very important part. So, is that it? No, I'm just fixing it. Okay, so look at this. You can buy what is called uh, pressure ends for these, where you stick those things in, your system pressures up, and it allows your line to leak out the end, and then as the system builds the pressure, it closes it off. It's kind of like a check valve backwards, where it closes when the water's flowing through type of thing. Well, those are great, but if you're working with limited water quantity, you don't really want a lot of water going out the end because if you don't have enough water volume pushing through those lines, it will never stop. And so in our system, when we were working with limited water, and I'm not even going to use this in our new system, uh, a lot of guys like that because if they're adding a lot of fertilizer to their water, they want to be able to flush their lines. But I throw away my lines every year as far as this is concerned, and it might sound like, oh, how can you do that? But the problem is, is that, you know, a rabbit might chew into it, or someone hits it with a hoe, or you know, um, you know, some adventurous farmhand wants to take a nibble out of it, or something like this. Okay, so it, it just isn't worth it to me to replace it, to to have it every year. It's just it's a mess to pick up. You know, you have to count your own cost. In a small far, in a small garden, maybe you can you can get away with a few years. With me, it's it's just not that big of a of a worry to, to do anything. So what you what I do is I take the pipe when I get to the end, leave a little extra, and I'll cut the end off of it like so. Okay, and then what I do is I'll do three rolls. Okay, I'll double it once. Actually, yeah, I do three rolls. Okay, so double it over and pinch it down like so. And then what you do is, can everyone see this? Basically, you take the edges and you fold them in like a door, like two doors going together, like so. Sorry, can everyone see that? You're folding it over? Yeah, turn the light on just for a second. Okay, so you fold it over like so. 
The reason for that is, is that you want to be able to slide this right on, like so, and that's how you end, end your, your drip lines. So you're not paying anything extra. It comes with the line. It's very simple. It might leak. It doesn't really leak. It might leak a little bit. If it leaks too much for you, put another bend in it. And, and that's it. That's as simple as I do it. I don't pay money for all these extra crazy, non-helpful, irritating products, in my opinion. But like they say, opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. No one wants to see it. So um, anyways, moving on quickly. <laughs> Where did my, okay. <laughs> I hope that wasn't insulting to anyone. You might be very attached to your belly button, but anyways. Okay. So um, had anyone heard that before? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Something I picked up along the way. <laughs> Maybe not use it again. Okay, so there are many, 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 many different types of drip irrigation. So what's the best irrigation for you? Well, next one, Aubrey. So the questions are, should I use drip tape? Is it, be is it beneficial? You know, if you want to use drip tape, the best, the reason I like using drip tape is it's very efficient. It takes very little pressure. You can do a lot at once. And... Quite honestly, it's the cheapest uh, starting cost. So if this is a new thing for you, it might be a little irritating because little holes and punches, but it's cheap and it's effective. Are there problems with it? There are problems with every system. So you have to just take them as they come. Now we're going to be looking into uh, the different types of drip tape. So what do you... Okay, so here we go. Uh, drip tape comes in various spacings. Drip tapes comes in many different spacings and many different types. I'm just going to kind of go over the overview principles with you, okay? There's 4-inch spacing, there's 6-inch spacing, there's 8-inch spacing, there's 12-inch spacing. You can probably get it at wider spacing, um, but who has the space for that? Um, uh, that was a joke, but anyways, uh, just kidding. Okay, so why, why would you prefer 12 Eight, okay. Some people say to me, well, you know, in clay soils you want 12 inches because the water doesn't really penetrate, so you need to let it, you need to let it kind of, it spreads out and goes down. And so you can get away with 12 inch spacing if, if you do that. I've never seen that. I've had a fairly he heavy clay soil. Quite honestly, what I prefer is the four inch spacing. That's what I use. That's what I've used for the last two years. I really like it because the, the, the emitters are so close together that they actually, instead of being separate like circles, it's a band of water that goes down. And I like that a lot better because when I'm doing fairly close spacing crops, um, I will, I'll put it right up against the lettuce and then just as a band of water. So that's why I like that. You can get other spacing if they work for you, great. I wouldn't go more than six personally. But, um, you know, four, I prefer four, okay? Um, row length can vary from 265 feet to 650 feet max feet, depending on the make. So these are maximum row lengths, and they'll tell you that. I don't think anyone in here is, well, I don't know, maybe Sean will. But, you know, most small-scale growers, they're probably running 30, 50 feet at most. So you're well within the range of, of distance here. You shouldn't have any problems but just to let you guys know. Okay, next, there's different thicknesses. And this is probably where the biggest thing, I was talking to you, sir, I'm sorry, what's your name? Tom. Tom. So, Mr. Tom, I was talking with him earlier, and he has some thicker drip line that I believe you said Netafim makes or something like that? Uh, I think it's a or Toro or Dorong, okay. 
And, and really, the only benefit that I see in using a thicker drip line is that if you have a lot of problems with rodents, it would be e harder for them to, to nibble through it. Um, I have not experienced anything beyond 8 mil, so that might be an experiment for you. Um, but, next one, Aubrey, I guess it mentions what I already say, said. Um, the situation is if, if your water is high in minerals and you're not treating it, those, even, even though you're getting one that's thicker, thicker it's probably going to clog up from mineralization. And so um, that's why I just go with the cheaper one and replace it every year. It just takes a lot of headache out. But I have seen people that use it and roll it up and do all this kind of stuff. And I don't know. You'll have to make your own decision on that. I, I have chosen not to do that. But just to know that there's, there's a scale of options. And these are definitely more expensive because it takes more to make them, obviously. Okay, next. Um, so the only problem with drip irrigation that I see as a downside is that it's so close to your crops if you come in you're cultivating or trying to do something like that there's definitely the possibility of puncturing it of course rabbits and, and varmints and stuff like that um, oh yeah this is one of the reasons why they call it drip irritation instead of drip <laughs> irrigation um, now crops that it's not really good to use on lettuce mix would be definitely a solid overhead I would never use drip irrigation on lettuce mix unless I was doing something like um, the Salanova that Johnny does and you know there might be separate heads and you cut those off and then it falls into lettuce mix. That might be a good option for drip line but not for, not for densely seeded crops like carrots and stuff. I would never use a drip line for that personally. Not that you couldn't, it's just when you're trying to cut with it there's just more chances you're getting sharper objects closer to it, chances for, for more breakage and stuff like that. So overhead. Now it's really good if you're like planting tomatoes like we do through this tarp. It's really great to have that underhead uh, under the beds because there is no potential of overhead and of course those crops don't necessarily like overhead irrigation. So that's really where that I see a lot of it used. In the industry it's usually used under plastic culture <coughs> quite a bit. Um, and so that's where it's used mostly. Another, another thing that actually I will say, this might be a benefit for, for the heavier weight drip lines. I haven't tried this out, but I will put it out there. Um, when you have a heavier weight, the wind doesn't catch it as much when there's no water in it. So if you live in a windy location like we do in Oklahoma, sometimes your drip lines will get caught by the wind and they'll get flung over. So every time you need to irrigate, you have to go out there and straighten your lines. And there are ways, some people like pull it straight and tie it with a stake but it, it still kind of moves, and that, that's, that is kind of a downside to it, but um, the heavier weights might not move as much. So that might be a benefit right there to a heavier weight line if you have a lot of wind and you don't want to go out there and straighten it often. Okay, next, overhead irrigation. This is kind of a loaded thing because there are so many types of overhead, and I have, I have a few here on the table that I'll, I'll pass around. Um, and I'm just going to go over some generals. A lot of this comes down to maybe buying a few heads and trying it out on your own system and seeing what you like as far as patterns. Because the thing is, is that with different heads, there's different things to consider. If you live in a location with lots of wind and you're expecting it to have an even pattern going around your field, like a round circle, that wind will push it and sometimes it won't fully get to where it needs to go. So, you know, different heads sometimes can work against the wind a lot better than other heads. Uh, and so uh, let's 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 keep going here. Um, oh, and I, I will say this uh, for drip uh, for overhead irrigation, 
um, it's not as low of a flow system. So you have to make sure you have at least 35 PSI to run these systems, okay? I know wobblers can do a little less than that, um, actually quite a bit less, but wobblers have been an interesting thing for me. I don't know. Uh, Sean, you'd use wobblers, right? I don't know. It, there's no perfect. I'm not, I'm not super impressed with them. Yeah. But they're low flow, so if you don't have a lot of pressure, they can be used uh, to get you by. But 30. Okay. Yeah, so droplet size and stuff are things to consider because they, it can maybe splash up on your crop more. Um, but, we're, but I just want to point that out there because you need a base PSI to run most of these systems. And quite honestly, the higher your pressure, the more variety of, of, of heads you can use. And this is really becomes important when, um, when you're needing to, well, maybe for a small-scale grower this is not even a, an issue, but you can always pressure down. It's very hard to pressure up. You'll need another pressure pump or something to kick that system up a bit. Um, so just take that uh, for what it's worth. Okay, so there's two, go back to the other slide, Aubrey. So if, you're, if your gallons per minute or your system is a low enough pressure, you don't need a pressure regulator on an overhead. But if you're really high, sometimes, go, go to the next one, sometimes the, uh, the pressure goes through the head so fast that it kind of misses the head when you're not meaning to, and the, the particulates never reach where they're going because they're so fine, and so you might need to drop the pressure with a pressure regulator even for an overhead system if you're dealing with a very high pressure system, and I'm talking about something maybe um, in excess of 50 or 60, you might need to consider that. Okay, next slide. So um, basically the same principle. Um, there's different ways to connect these systems. I personally like two ways. Um, and they're all both basically barb fittings. Woo. So you can see this, well, well, keep going through the sides. This is this little mister here. So basically you punch the hole just like the drip line and you pop it in and then you have these little micro misters. This unit comes from the drip store, I believe it's called, and they're like $1.25 a piece. So they're not very expensive and they really do a nice job. I love these for lettuce mix, for carrots, I always get ge good germination when I use these heads um, as opposed to wobblers. They, these put out enough water in a short enough time and that's another thing to consider. Like in Texas and stuff where our summers are hot, is your system going to put enough water to compensate for what's evaporating and also still good, good, get good drenching? And then it's a very fine mist and you, as you can see it's very low to the ground which means that it's going to be less susceptible to uh, air movement like wind and stuff like that where a higher system is shooting up into that wind and it might be carried around. So I really like these for Oklahoma. I, um, huh? Oh, I forget the name but the drip store sell these. So dripstore.com if you look it up and they're like $1.25. If you buy a thousand they're a dollar and four cents. But um, you might want to go in with your neighbors or something. And that's another thing. If you're, if you, like for those that live in Texas here locally, if you can band together and decide, hey, what do we want? You can usually get a lot better prices if you go and buy together than buying separately. Okay, next. Um, this is a wobbler, and that's kind of the demonstration I have here. Um, this is kind of that low flow system that Sean doesn't like, but it's what I had available at ho home. 
And this is kind of the same idea. You got a stainless steel rod, a riser, and this pops into the line just like the other one does. It actually has a little kind of a gray uh, nub that you punch. Uh, this is uh, the inch and fi five eighth inch punch, like the, the drip line. And you punch this little thing into the line, and then this actually uh, uh, holds in just by pressing it into that little punch. And, um, and then the water goes through this line. And, and I like this because there are other systems where you have a whole fitting where, um, like back at the first one, we were looking at our connections for our fields where the, the, that barb fitting, and then we use two CC clamps to hold it into place. Well, you can get those for these, and then you can use like half inch, uh, go, go, oh, go, go forward, Aubrey, actually. Like this, okay, so you would have like a, 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 a UV resistant uh, PVC or you could use metal and it goes down and it actually connects into this like reduced T that has two barb fittings on either side. And uh, I see a lot of people that use that. I like this because it's very simple and I don't have to add another fitting. It's just a simple punch and plug type of thing. So I like that about this system and then it has the stick and you just stick it in the ground and you know, I don't have to have like some sort of tripod or anything. It holds itself up. So I, I like this. And Deerfield uh, sells these. I don't know if they come with the rod yet. I had to put these rods in mine. But you could use like a, a, a piece of, of rebar or something in the bottom of these too. So it doesn't have to be stainless. Okay. So this looks kind of complicated, but we're going to walk through it. Basically, from what I understand, the rule of thumb uh, with... Uh, overspray because what you have to do is you have these individual heads and you want to have the most even overspray that you can so that your field is evenly irrigated. The problem is is that there's no real good way to get an even spread with an exact precise even spread with a round circle. It just doesn't work. But, but we can get close and, and the idea is that it's, it's all about getting close. In, in many ways in agriculture there's, there's, there's the desire for precision, but the realities of the world is that it doesn't exactly work that way. So the rule of thumb is, so I alternated these colors, okay? So this is the spray pattern for, for this particular head, let's say, okay? Um, and it has, of course, a radius and then, of course, a diameter. And what I want is I want to, let's go to the next slide. I want my, the spray from these heads to overlay and hit the stake or the riser of, of the one nearest it, okay? And then I want these to overspray that one and hit the, the bottom of the post. That's how much overspray, uh, from what I understand, working with people from Irrigation Mart is, is kind of like the best we can do, okay? And do the next one, and then of course those overspray back, and then you just have this overlap, just like so. And that's about, from my understanding, that's about as good as it gets with overhead. But don't underestimate the power of an overhead system. Even though it might not be as perfect or as streamlined or as water efficient as drip irrigation, overheads have some wonderful qualities to it, and I'm just starting to learn them. Um, and, and that would be, um, you can do hydrocooling during the summer. So if you're growing crops that like to be watered from overhead and it's hot, you can use this running it in intervals to actually cool your crop during the summertime and bring that temperature down because it lands on the leaf, it evaporates, and that evaporation takes energy off the plant leaf, which means the plant doesn't have to bring up that water from the soil to cool itself off. And so it's almost like artificial sweat. 
And so that can be very effective on things like lettuce mix, on kale, on, on, on things like that. I actually do overhead on cucumber plants, believe it or not. They seem to really like overhead irrigation. Jean Martin up in, in, in Quebec with his 1.5 acre farm does very well with overhead irrigation on his cucumbers as well. And I'm like, well, if he does it up there, maybe I should try it down here. Um, so I do that as well. You wouldn't think cucumbers necessarily, but they seem to really like it. And I actually did a little overhead hydrocooling on squash uh, two, years, two years ago, and that seemed to be pretty effective as well. Anyways, just putting it out there. The next thing is that the water volume that it actually puts on the soil is more than what you would get through drip line. So it's not as efficient. It's about double what I would consider drip would be. Okay, you have to account for double the amount of water volume for overhead. But it, it does the whole soil, and it seems to push the moisture into it. I don't know how to explain it necessarily, but... I just feel like, especially with these micro-misters, I really feel like they just do a better job, especially with the greens that like it. That's my personal opinion. Other people might disagree, but for those that live in Texas and Oklahoma area, um, I'm talking from your area. I'm not, I'm not from Washington State, you hear. You know, these people that have, like, the perfect climate. Um, okay, I'm sure there's problems with Washington State, too. But the idea is, is that, you know, this, this is what I've experienced here in this local area. Um, next slide. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the presentation. Those are kind of the overview on overhead. This is something that I just want to put out there to kind of tickle your imagination a little bit. Um, one of the problems that, and this might be more for production people, but I think home gardeners might like this too, is that this is an expensive system. I think we need to invent something that's a lot cheaper. But the principle is really cool. Do we put the pictures in? This is... Oh, those got lost. Uh, too bad. You guys miss out. Okay, so um, I went to a farm in, um, this is Washington State, actually. I just mentioned that. Anyways, it's called Joe's Garden in, in Bellingham, Washington. And he uses something called the finger weeder. And we won't go into that, but the principle is, is that he uses this system of irrigation. He rolls it out over his fields, and then he turns it on, and it tracks back with one single head. The neat thing about this is it gives very even irrigation for an overhead system because you have one head that's tracking back at a certain speed, and so it has perfect overlap. Okay, you see what I'm saying? And sorry. Right. The the thing is is that you have to have a hose, and this one actually you pull it out and it pulls itself right back in. So there's no there's no hose left in the hill in the field. It all comes back in. The neat thing about that is, is that if there's nothing in the field, there's nothing to puncture, there's nothing to trip over. And believe me, um, when you have to cultivate your field and, and you, let's say you have this and it's going down a walkway, right? Um, well, am I going to come in? It's just another step. I have to remove that from the walkway, put it over here, go down my field, and then I have to run through with my wheel hoe. Let's say that's my cultivating device. And then I have to put it back. So it's an extra step. And then if you have a, a large area, it's going to be several of these. If it's micro-misters, it's every five and a half feet. I mean, it's a very laborious process sometimes to, to weed around these infield systems. And so with something, what is this? That's just the summary of the water wheel. <coughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, Aubrey's moving it. Okay, so, um, so basically the neat thing about that system is it removes your entire irrigation system from your field after you're irrigating, which means that your field is completely open for cultivation, for harvesting. It's just something, it's just irrigation systems in some ways are just another thing to trip over. 
and um, they're very important and they're valuable and you have to have them. But I really like the idea of a water reel because it removes the system from your field and opens it up for so you don't have to have anything in there. That's probably out of the price range of any home grower, even though they do sell smaller models, but they're like $3,000. So, um, but the idea is that to tickle the imagination, I think we can make cheaper ones for small scale growers and, uh, and, and even backyard gardeners that would just, it just simplifies it. And the neat thing is that you only have to buy one head. You know, all these other systems, you have to buy multiple heads to get the spread you want. With that one, you only buy one head, you can switch it out, you could have different head types for different crops, and it just, I don't know, it just really seems like a good idea to me. So, um, next picture. Okay. All of these parts are available at Deerfield and Irrigation Mart. Deerfield is a Mennonite, I believe, company, and so they don't use the internet, but their prices are super, super competitive. Irrigation Mart is for people that, let's say you're wanting to develop a, a, a well and, and actually have your own water system. These guys have the, the tech and the expertise to help you out, figure out what type of pumps you need to be able to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And you'll learn a lot from them. I've worked with them extensively over the last year and a half. Um, and they, they also sell all these other parts as well. Um, I think Deerfield is very competitive, though. So I might check with, I, I would maybe check with them, but check around. The idea is that these systems can be much more expensive than, than what they should be if, if we don't do our, you know, price checking. And then, of course, I'm sorry. And I have magazines from, uh, from uh, Irrigation Mart. I, did we get the ones from Johnny's? Does anyone? I, I, sorry, from, from um, Deerfield. I might have them at my booth tonight or on Sabbath night. Um, they're supposed to be shipping in a box of them so I can give out. And it's just a really nice catalog. They're great people to work with and really good prices. So I believe that ends uh, the irrigation uh, class uh, here. Uh, any questions? What time do we have, actually? 4.49. Um, how much time do we have left, or is, are we done? 11 minutes. 11 minutes. Okay, questions? Yes, sir. Okay, how many lines can you irrigate, uh, or how many beds, you know, all at the same time? At one time? Without losing pressure. Without losing pressure. That's a really good question. Or, or how long has to be the line? So, really, this is... This is where it goes back to, so what, let's choose a system, overhead or, or, or drip tape? Drip tape. Drip tape, okay, very good. So your drip tape um, has, in the catalog, you'll look at it, and it will tell you gallons per minute per 100 feet, okay? Gallons per minute per 100 feet of line. So let's say, let's say that um, uh, I want to put 100 feet of this particular line in. Okay, um, it's 0.67 gallons per minute per 100 feet. So I need to be able to run this system at pressure, I have to make sure that I have at least 0.67 gallons per minute, minimum, to be able to run this system. Now add a few more, add a few more, and I'd have to run these calculations, but maybe I should say, let's say it's one gallon per 100 feet, just to make it simple here. Let's say I run, um, let's say I run 20, 50-foot runs of it, okay? So that's going to be 10 gallons. 10 gallons, 20, yeah. That's going to be, I need to have 10 gallons per minute from my water source, whatever that is, to be able to run this system, okay? So it's, it's very simple math. 
You need to have the rate. Does that make sense to people? Okay, so you have to have the rate per 100 feet. But sometimes our systems aren't even. So basically, I try to get it to the least common factor. So I'll say 0.67 gallons per minute or uh, per 100 feet. Then I'll divide that by 100 and get the rate per foot. Then I'll take the total length of all my rows that I'm wanting to do, and I put I put two to three lo uh, two minimum three three uh, lines maximum per bed if I'm using this. So three lines for things like lettuce and kale, uh, two lines for things like tomatoes and cucumbers. Let's say that's what I'll do um, per bed. So you basically say I have a 50 foot bed. I have three lines on it. That's 150 feet per bed, and I have 10 of those beds. What's the total? And then I multiply that by the factor of what it is for one foot because I divided 100, uh, I divided 0.67 by 100, and that gives me the, the gallons per foot. And then you, hopefully that makes sense. Um, someone else had a question. Oh, Sean. How many, how many beds are you getting with that Mr. With that Mr. Two. Two, uh, uh, with the, that would be an 18-inch walk path with uh, uh, two and a half foot beds on either side. So it's like... What is that? Seven and a half feet? Uh, six and a half feet? Well, I, I, I allow a little overspray on my beds. Um, so even though it's 11 foot, I want to have a little bit more overspray on my field. So I make sure that if any wind blows, it makes sure I get full coverage. So I can do two beds with that. And of course, I know a lot of people are like, man, that's a lot. I, for every two beds, I'd have to have another line of these things that I have to trip over. Yes, but it does a better job than anything else. So that's what I'm using right now. So sometimes you have to deal with the situation. Yes? Uh, have you run into any problems with using 4-inch spacing versus 8-inch eight, eight spacing as far as taking a lot more gallons per minute, dumping, and stuff like Well, the thing is is that you have to see... Okay, let me, re let me, let me repeat that question. The question was is... Um, do four, does 4-inch spacing use more water than 12-inch spacing or 8-inch spacing? Is that a simplified version? But okay. It does, but how much, or have you run into problems with that? With it using more water? Yeah. Like, you know, okay. So one thing to set, one thing overall to, to talk about here, um, drip lines are all rated, so the thing is, is that each of these little emitters is rated differently. So not all drip lines have the exact same emitter in them. You can get drip lines that, and, and, and when I say emitters, there's little slits in the top of this that were created up like glue and lasers or something. It's like a laser slit on these. And that little slit is where the water comes through. So you're not having to buy anything else other than the tape. It's already embedded in the tape. It comes with it. So that's really nice. So you don't have to buy, well, how many emitters do I need to put in this line? It already comes pre-manufactured that way. But the thing is is that all those little pre-manufactured slits are going to vary from tape to tape. So not, it's not like a standard slit. It's not like each slit puts out uh, one gallon an hour. It's not like that. Certain slips put out one and a half gallons an hour. Certain slips, it's, it's just not standardized. So the spacing doesn't necessarily determine the amount of water. Um, it, it, what it determines is what that tape is actually rated for per hundred foot and then you could divide that by the number of emitters, which would be, could be calculated by the spacing, and then you could get a rate for that for each emitter, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if the spacing's wider that you're putting more or less water out per 100-foot line, right? Now, <clears throat> the reason I like the 4-inch line is that what will happen is that if, um, 
I want my water to go in bands, like I said, and I find that when you space it out farther than that, the bands don't necessarily always connect. And when it doesn't connect, if that's where a plant's sitting, it's going to be dry and it's not going to be watered. And that's a big problem. So I like to make sure that when I irrigate, it's always, uh, it always gets the water. Yes, sir. Okay, irrigating out of a pond. You better make sure that you have a really good filter. Okay? Um, there are benefits to irrigating out of ponds, uh, especially if it's not coming out of a well. Well, of course, it wouldn't be coming out of a well, but wells, if, if your water is coming from a well, usually it's going to have mineral content in it. And you have to compensate for that in your fertility program, which is a completely different situation, but some waters are just terrible for irrigation. You'll kill your plants with them. Um, Michael Hitt has some really terrible salt water where he lives, and he has to treat it with acid. So, uh, to, 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 and it's still not very good. I mean, you have a lot of mineral in the water, it's just, it's not very good. When you irrigate out of a pond, it's surface runoff into that pond, and sometimes, mineral-wise, it can be cleaner, as far as not so much mineral in the water. So there can be advantages of, of going out of a pond. Um, Filter for that, I probably would use a sand filter, and usually there are two big white tanks, and there's two of them, and you need to make sure that you have it set up where you know how quickly it gets dirty because they have backflow in them, so you can wash those out. Sand filters really do well, from my understanding, with a lot of sediment, which might be coming out of a pond. Um, you can also want to make sure that when you're going out of a pond that you go to the center of that pond, so you're putting a pipe out there to the middle, and you're not sucking off the bottom, you're sucking somewhere you know, maybe four feet down. I, it depends on how deep your pond is, but you don't want it sucking off the bottom. And you want it in the middle because sometimes the algae grows around the edges, right? So you want to make sure that you're getting from the cleanest source possible in that pond. Um, and they have floating hoses that you can buy, uh, or you can put little styrofoam, you know, to get it out there or whatnot. Um, in the wintertime, if you ever want to irrigate with that, that might be a bit of a challenge. Um, I don't know. I personally haven't irrigated out of a pond, but I have a friend that has, and it works for him. So uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, of course, you want a big enough pond, make sure it's sealed right so that you don't run out of water halfway through the season. And that's always a situation where you have to think about evaporation, how much rain you get, how fast it fills up, what's the cubic capacity. I mean, there's a lot of factors to think. If you're doing a large, if you're doing a small area, you probably don't need to think about it, but if you're doing more, you need to think about is that pond, because you don't want to get halfway through your season you want to design your system so that it can deal with the hottest, driest part of your year. Because a lot of crops are going to cross over that period, and if you can't make it over that hot part of the year, you're going to lose your crop, and that's not good for farm economics. So, um, I know you have a question. I think there are some other... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, this is where it gets really tricky. Did anyone go to Darren Greenfield's uh, class on growing tomatoes? Okay, so he has a little tool called a tensiometer, and there's, there's electronic tensiometers, and there's, there's ones that are made out of, um, it's more of a mechanical type of situation. Um, if you have a hard time knowing how much to irrigate, like especially on tomatoes where they can easily crack if you over-irrigate, one of those tools is, will get you more precise. Now, what if you don't have one of those like me, and I haven't had one for four years? Um, basically, what I go, and this, and, and this is hard sometimes, but um, you, the thing is, is that it, you have to decide how precise you want to be. 
is really what it comes down to. In the future, I'm definitely going to get a tensiometer. As a backyard grower, is it going to make any difference? I think you can pretty much, uh, you don't want it to dry out for sure. You don't want it to dry out. You don't want your, your, your plant to be just sitting in water for longer than 24 hours either. So I would suggest that when you water um, once, if you come back in 24 hours and they're still puddling and the, the ground feels muddy, you've really overwatered. You want that water to move out within 24 hours. Now, uh, and also dig down because some of you guys have soils that are, are harder, like clayer types of soils, and so the water doesn't penetrate into those soils very well. It can take longer. So some of it comes to soil class as well because you don't want to just be irrigating the top two inches and then the, 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 the rest is very dry. You want to be able to get down six to 12 inches at least into that soil profile when you irrigate so that um, you're not up here because what happens is that if the roots just all stay up here, what happens if you forget, forget once? Then you don't have that deeper soil to do. So, um, and then you can do the hand test and you know, if, it, if it's clotty and, and doesn't come apart, then you've overwatered and if it just falls out of your hand, then it's underwatered or you want it to kind of easily break apart, you know, even moisture. But the nice thing about these systems are is that they're gonna help you be able to, uh, you know, you'll, you'll learn, oh, 45, I usually do a 45 minute irrigation every other day on tomatoes. Um, and I might bump that up a little bit during the summertime and be very careful when they're very ripe because you can split them. Yes? You can bury that drip tape too. And I found some of the stuff that I do my ground situation, water situation, I don't want that water to evaporate so fast in the top. I'll bury that drip tape about that far and I found I get better results burying it slightly. So, uh, uh, so Michael said he buries his tape slightly to kind of get it down there. Here's the thing, is with Michael's water situa situation, he has to be very careful because if he waters too much from the top, it will crust over because of the salt issue. But you have to be very careful with that as well. And in Michael's situation, that's really what you want to do. I, I would agree with that. But in every situation, let's say that you're going to be planting several times a year in that same bed area. And let's say that you put a lettuce mix in over, or, well, you wouldn't use lettuce mix, I guess, in this situation. But let's say that you put, let's say you put some sort of crop that you're going to have several successions of in that area. I guess I, I do put lettuce. So let's say lettuce, and I bury that pipe, that thing. But I need to come in and let's say I need a broad fork it or I need to till it or even the seed bed because I'm going to come back and seed some carrots or something like that. You know, I'm going to have to be down there pulling this whole irrigation stuff up every time, and then I'm going to have to rebury it because I'm not going to run my tiller through there because it's just going to chop that thing up. So like Michael, what Michael's doing, you know, that's, that's very good. But... Um, you have to be careful if you're doing multiple cropping systems, you need to know where that tape is on top of the ground and be able to move it off so that you can actually do bed prep. So I don't know if, Michael, you've had a solution for that. I just like cucumbers and... Okay, so longer season crops. Yeah, so that, that might be a good... That's a good point. So for longer season crops, burying it might be a good option. Yeah, does you don't run any any collapse because it, you know it is a flat hose. It hasn't. Okay, well Michael has more experience than that than I do, so you might try that out and, and see how it fits you. Um, are we out of time, or are we? Okay, well that's it. If you guys have any more questions, I'll be at my booth. Thank you very much for coming. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.